As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I'm Keith Law. Welcome to the Keith Law Show. I have a great interview lined up today with Bobby Heck, the special assistant to the general manager of the Tampa Bay Rays. First, just a couple of administrative things to run through. For those of you who have been waiting for my team-by-team prospect rankings and for my organization rankings, that will all begin to run this week, starting on Wednesday, February 10th. You will see my ranking of all 30 organizations, all 30 farm systems, 1 through 30. That is going to kick off the remainder of the prospect package. The following day, you will start to see the American League teams run. It will be one division per day with five teams, obviously five teams per day. Each team gets at least a top 20, uh, as well as noting any prospects I think will have impact for 2021 and naming two sleepers per organization. Last year, I named one for each. That's typically my practice, but because nobody got to play last year, I am, in most cases, keeping the guy from last year and now adding a second one just to kind of make it more informative. For those of you who missed it, the top 100 prospects ranking ran uh, about 10 days ago, as well as a list of 12 prospects who just missed. Also, I did write up the Nolan Arenado trade. All of those pieces are available if you are a subscriber to The Athletic. And if you are not, I don't know why not, but you can go to theathletic.com slash K-L-A-W. That's theathletic.com slash CLAW. For a subscription offer that is currently $3.99 a month to start. Finally, I do want to mention that my second book, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves, will be out in paperback on April 6th. Uh, I have to confess, I personally do not buy a lot of hardcover books, although I read a lot of books, and I am actually reading a hardcover book right now, but I got it as a gift. So um, I love books. I love buying books. I love supporting authors. I feel a little guilty, but often I wait for the paperback. So if you are doing the same, don't feel guilty. The paperback version of The Inside Game will be out on April 6th, and you can pre-order it, as far as I can tell, everywhere. It's on Bookshop. It's on Amazon. I'm guessing any bookstore at this point, since we're less than two months out, would be happy to pre-order it for you. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Now it is my great pleasure to be joined by Bobby Heck. Bobby is the special assistant to the general manager for the reigning AL champion Tampa Bay Rays. Previous to joining Tampa Bay, he was also the scouting director for the Houston Astros, where as it turned out, he had a pretty big hand in bringing a lot of the players into that organization who ended up contributing to the Astros and they won their first ever world championship. Bobby, thank you so much for joining me. Sure, Keith. Happy to be on. So the reason I asked you to come on this week is that the Rays are my number one ranked farm system for 2021, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how that system came to be and some of the specific players in it. Let's at least start with Wander Franco. I have him as your best prospect and the best prospect in all of baseball. I think we all agree. MLB.com, I believe, has him at number one. I'm pretty sure Fangraphs does as well. Wander is the man. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about the process of getting Wander into your system and what kind of future you see for him? Yeah, I mean, the process was um, actually very quick because when we it starts with our identifying the player, which I feel toe-to-toe, our supervisor in Dominican, Danny Santana, is one of the best. And he identified Wander early, so we were able to see actually uh, see him play a lot and play a lot of games. And he played for a trainer, Rudy Santine, who really believed in playing games, so it actually added to the skill and polish of Wander. Um, but I don't know if you remember, at that time it was kind of in flux of what the international bonus system would be. Mm-hmm. And you know, just Carlos Rodriguez was – out ahead of it, he thought there would be like one of three concepts and had Dean plans for all of them. And, uh, you know, we were very comfortable with Wander and what his abilities are. And uh, it was kind of a new frontier of of how the marketplace was going to be with the bonus pools now for international. And uh, I guess we weren't afraid to set the market. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he's gone out um, and he's probably moved it. You know, I don't think I would have suggested such a clip, you know, when he, you know, after we signed him. But, you know, the best international players tend to reach the big league at 19 or 20. I think that timeline was was within reason. Um, but I think I got a pretty good glimpse of it when I first saw him. When he first came over to the States, that instructional league, after he signed. And we were playing up at Pirate City and he's facing college players college pitchers and the speed of the game he adjusted to it so fast and like that you can definitely put him on a 19 year old track and this guy's going to be really good so 
Um, and he's accepted every challenge that we put in front of him, at least on the field. So it's, uh, his, his star is bright. I feel like in the last, I don't know, I would say maybe three or four years to your draft philosophy, the whole Rays whole draft philosophy has, has really changed. Obviously it's kind of well-known the Rays before you got there had a lot of years where they'd even have extra picks and not get the kind of return that a small market club like the Rays need to get. Uh, but these last few years, it seems like you've been much more productive uh, and I, it feels like you're going after players in, in a going after different types of players, going after players in different buckets, including a lot of more maybe you know higher risk, higher reward players who've who've so far worked out. Like I'm thinking of Josh Lowe, for example, maybe not a prospect the Rays would have taken a few years sooner, um, or you know like a Shane McClanahan who was uh, the guy who was supposed to go maybe in the top ten picks or so because of his velocity and sort of slipped to become available. Your pick, Matt Liberatore, who's since traded, but another guy like that. Um, you, tell me what your, you know, in general terms, sort of how you view your draft philosophy, and also just for listeners who don't know, to your specific role, since you're not the scouting director. But if you ask anybody involved with Tampa Bay, you know, what does Bobby Heck do? It's like, well, he's involved in in a little bit of everything. Yeah, no, I definitely have the luxury of going into different theaters of scouting. But I think, as far as philosophically, I think we've kind of evolved to, um, I think. I think a lot of it is I'm a product of where I've been and coming from Milwaukee, a small market club um, was part of a rebuild then was part of a rebuild with Houston. Um, I think a lot of what tried is, is grab ceiling and try to find some aircraft carriers, um, especially. And I think the common ground of Milwaukee and Tampa is that we're not going to be able to go out on the free agent market and get established um, stars. So we better, you know, we better get them in the draft. And if that's accepting some more risk, um, you know, whether it be in the first or second round with someone that we think is baseball athletic and has a legitimate ceiling, um, you know, it's probably a place for us to do it in, in that type of um, area. Um, and we've also been bolstered by international production too. Um, probably the last five years, we've started to get a steady stream of that as well. And, um, you know, and then on the trade front, we've been able to backfill in a lot of ways there. So we're in a good spot. We have, you know, all three part of our scouting system producing right now, but yeah. And then it's like, then it is the different buckets and really just not ignoring the strength of each draft and not forcing things. If it's a pitching draft, take pitching. Um, you know, but I think that first one we're, we're trying to hit a home run and uh, we'll take a little more risk on to you know, just to, Get someone that has impact, and you know, you'd be especially watching the playoffs. And if you're going to be a contending team, there's not a lot of players that are fives out there. And, right. Uh, most of them are sixes or sevens and eights. So we have to take our spots of where we're going to try to add someone of those caliber. Just a follow up to that too. So for listeners who don't know, saying a guy, you know, a five as a player or as a tool, that's average. That's major league average, and eight would be the absolute best grade you could give somebody, you know, uh, Joey Gallo's power, Billy Hamilton's speed, for example. So when you're looking at players, this could be anywhere, international draft, trade, whatever, you're saying, I'm looking for guys who can be sixes or better. And this is this could be your personal philosophy, not just the team philosophy. Are you looking for certain tools? Do you like those? The, you know, it doesn't have to be Joey Gallo specifically, but the guy who has that one tool, you say, that's a carrying tool. That's going to get him to the big leagues to be a, a six or better 
Do you like guys with the broader mix? Thinking of George Springer, one of your best known draft picks from when you were still with the Astros, who had a bunch of different sixes on his scouting report. Or, you know, back to what you just said, do you sort of take a little more of what the draft gives you and, and evaluate just each of the players on the board and say, well, this, you know, just figure out which guy has the best chance to get a six, whether it's one tool or more of a broad basket of tools? Yeah, like in the draft, you're, you're definitely at the, um, crutch of where you pick and what the player pool is that year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, definitely you're looking for someone that can have a carry tool to be a regular uh, carry tool to be a starting pitcher. My personal philosophy has always been try to get a position player and a starting pitcher from each draft. And to do that, I mean, you have to be profile oriented, but those players have to have multiple abilities and multiple skills to accomplish that. Um, I think the common thread, you know, on that is, is just uh, leaning towards baseball athletic of guys that can repeat things, guys that have bodies that are quick, that'll take on more physicality uh, and will remain quick. Uh, it's a fast game. And uh, you know, the guys that have stuff that's moving at a faster pace and as well as thought processes and, um, you know, you definitely don't want guys with dial up, uh, how they cross, you know, <laughs> definitely looking for guys with high-end microchips of make of decision making. So I think that's you know that ties into watching the players. Well, not only the tool side of it, but you know how they process information, you know, their instinctual ability as well. So it, it's a definitely a big bowl of jambalaya, and they all have different ingredients because not two recipes are the same. But it definitely is, yeah, back to baseball athletic and, and some carrying ability. Do you have particular feelings? One, it's I, I bring this up not just specifically because of the Rays, but you do. You have a couple of pr- really good undersized prospects, and I find like I've been writing, writing up team by team tw- t- uh, top twenties, writing about organizations. I feel like that's still a bias in the industry, and it was a bias when I worked for the Blue Jays fifteen years ago. It's probably been a bias since you first started in the business before that. But you know, at the same time, we we got a lot of really good big leaguers who are under six feet, for example, as long as you're strong or fast or or can do other things. The Marcus Stroman's on the mound. Thinking of Vidal Brujan in your system, who is really not very tall, but does a, basically does everything you could ask a middle infielder to do. Do you am I do you think that I'm right at all to say that that that's still a bit of a bias? Do you personally feel like height is more or less of a variable than it should be when you're evaluating players? I think I carried that bias more early on. Um, it's mm-hmm. something I've grown away from and something I've spent time and we've spent time talking to our scouts about. And I actually use the term now he's under tall because if he's strong enough and he's quick enough and he has ability, it's we're, we're talent collectors at the end of the day. So we really should be open to taking talent and whatever – size it is as long as it's going to be durable enough and strong enough to play at the highest level you know the one thing is those guys that are under tall they have an advantage they usually have shorter levers so mm-hmm. and those shorter levers make for more efficient actions and usually ability to repeat things at a higher level and it's they're not trying to control long gangly arms or long gangly legs whether it's hitting or, or defending yeah that was you remind me of something ben mcdonald told me when he and I worked together on the college baseball show years ago on ESPNU where he said, I forgot which college pitcher we were talking about, but he compared that pitcher to himself. Ben was a giant, well, still is a giant. It was always funny him sitting next to me because I had 
lift my chair all the way up, put his chair all the way down. But he said he felt like it wasn't until his maybe early to mid-20s that he started to get control of his body, of his arms and legs. It was Alex Meyer. That's who we were talking about, who's, I think, similar height. And, you know, we always think of tall pitcher is good, right? Extends more towards the plate, can get on top of the ball. Maybe it's just harder for hitters to pick up. But he brought up, just from his own personal experience, a very specific drawback, which to me, you know, just a part of my own learning process was sort of, hey, there's a lot of these things that we assume are sort of unfettered positives for players. Sometimes there is a, you know, there, for each pro, there might be a little con that we have to consider. And you you brought up, hey, the con is that a guy's short, but he's got short levers. Maybe it's easier for him to repeat. The really tall guys, think of Sean Jelly, who I think is 6'10", 6'10 or 6'11 in the giant system. I don't know if you saw him in the draft, but I mean, it's it's a different it's a different look, and you wonder is that guy going to have just going to take longer maybe to develop his coordination to be able to in this case of pitchers I'm talking about will it take longer for them to repeat their deliveries and maybe get to be the pitchers we think they're capable of becoming? Yeah, and I think you know they do tend to take more time just to because they need more strength to control their body parts and get more repetition. Um, and I think one. It's there's two things working against that now, actually. I think mm-hmm. one is patience of the game. It is like, we, we don't have a lot of patience as an <laughs> industry. It's, it's, you know, right away guys got to be moving and, you know, some guys may need an extra year or two. And, um, you know, it's, we lose sight of the end goal a lot of times and it's still a timeless game. And, but I think probably just the world we live in has tried to, um, speed that up and, and run alongside of the world, but you know, play all players have different time paths and definitely longer level players it takes them a little longer. The other part that works against these longer level players is is now they only play one sport. Most kids, so if they were playing multiple sports growing up, I think that's something that helps expedite that body control element. Mm. Um, and and then once they're out playing the one sport. Um, they're going to catch up and, and be in a better spot in a shorter time then. But as we've got more specialized in, in new sports and even in high school, very rarely you see multiple sport athletes anymore. And, um, yeah, I think that makes it a little even tougher for the, the longer run bias as well. Now, the Rays have a reputation, a longstanding reputation of being sort of a, an analytics club or stats-oriented club. I happen to know that's not the case. Obviously, I know you, I know Carlos, I know lots of the guys over there, even some guys who've left there, that you guys are also one of the best places, I would say maybe the best team for scouts to work for. The scouts I know who work for you guys have nothing but praise, not just for working the organization, but for how much they feel like their voices are heard in decisions, whether it's in the draft or on the pro side. Can you talk just a little bit about how the two areas work together, how scouting, any scouting department works with your pretty extensive R&D department so that you're bringing both perspectives into making what have turned out to be some very good decisions? Yeah, I mean, I think we've preached open-mindedness and, you know, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Um, But I think we've done that as a, as a whole, as an organization, I think, um, one, I think we have a heavy vetting process of anyone that enters the organization, even from an intern, it's a grueling process. And we're very cognitive of our culture and, and our workplace. Um, 
and we really do seek out the best and the brightest, but also those that have a, a team mentality um, mm-hmm. as well. And, and really we, we continue to um, stress and encourage cross department interaction. Um, and I think, I think we've all learned that we can, we, we every scout thinks, you know, they, their list is always good, but we're really not that good. And I think coming to that realization of like, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. I love this guy in the third round, but who'd you have above him? And, you know, I think if we really undress ourselves and just say, listen, I'm not as good as I think I am. I can be helped by going across the aisle and helping getting help from someone that has a different perspective and learning from them. And um, it's reciprocated, you know, from our, our R and D group of, you know, like, wow, this is a signal that we wouldn't have seen without our scouts. And, um, I think a lot of it is really just stability is communicating and and we really encourage our our people to communicate across different departments and really no one works in silos. So I think that's really helped us as far as having that blend and of young, old, old school, new school. I think we have a lot of hybrids running around. I don't think we have a line on the road anywhere. Yeah, we're we're in. You're certainly in the old school by your uh, by your background. I am also finding myself more in the old school now. Not because I'm a former scout, I'm not, but because I'm just getting old. As it turns out, as you look around, you look around your R and D department, or even go out and scout. Now I look around. I saw. I saw. Remember my old boss, J.P. Ricciardi's son Dante is scouting for the Mets now, and I went and it's like, wait a minute. Last time I saw you, you were in elementary school that's not allowed yeah no there's been a big change over as far as you know the uh the, the, the changing of the guard so to speak and um yeah i mean it, it it is youthful and it's it's i think i like it because i think they i have a mentoring ability i think there's that goes both ways i, mean, mm-hmm. I think part of the longevity of the game is to be adaptable and continue to learn and continue to be challenged and um I mean, we have a lot, a lot of smart people that work for us, and I get as much from them as they get from my 25 years. And, uh, you know, it's really, it's kept me energized. It's kept me challenged. Um, but, yeah, just like every year, it just seems like there's a few less faces that are familiar and a, a few more that I have no idea who they are. Yes, and sons are coming out now. I'm like, yes. yes <laughs> your, I played with your dad. Or I saw your dad play or signed your dad. So, yeah, it's. It's definitely, you know, part of it, but also lucky to be at this point and be able to experience other world, I think, is a plus, too. So if we go back to your scouting reports on Randy Rosarena before you acquired him or before he came up in August, did you have him hitting eight home runs a month and becoming the next Babe Ruth? Well, luckily, I didn't have anything on paper. (laughs) 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 He was a video date for me, actually, and uh-huh. he looked – so um, we actually had flagged him pretty early. Um, J.D. Ellaby, one of our pro scouts, got him on the backfields in the Cardinals when he was an A-ball mm-hmm. uh, and flagged him with a good pro report and was ahead of our analytics on that, to be truthful. And uh, another one of our scouts followed up um, that spring – after they broke camp and put a strong report on him, it was key store. Um, mm, yeah. um, so he put a big report on him and, um, 
you know, then kind of he started to perform and he started catching up with the analytics. And he's a guy that we tried to acquire for a while, but what he did in the postseason, I have never seen anything like that. I mean, it, was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, he, he hit everything up, down, in, out, hard, soft. Um, it's just to be locked in on the biggest stage like that was truly incredible. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, I mentioned at the top of the interview that uh, you previously, you were with Houston and when they had, I think you overlapped one year with the new regime, they let you go. But a lot of the players that you drafted and signed as scouting director for the Astros were there right through the world championship. And and I know at the time, many people, uh, at least from around the league said, hey, Bobby Hack had a, his fingerprints are all over this World Series trophy. One I'm one who's been in the news, just George Springer, obviously now signing a big free agent contract. I thought he was the best free agent this this winter. But I also remember in his draft year, there were a lot of questions about him. He was incredibly toolsy, physical, athletic, and he struck out a lot. And I have videos somewhere on a hard drive of him ending up on his back knee uh, well, at University of San Diego, I think it was, facing a not-great opposing pitcher, striking out sort of in un- ungainly fashion. Tell us what you remember about Springer from the draft year. I'm sure you had history with him going back. He'd been on the scene for a bit, and why you were confident taking him at the 11th overall pick that year. Well, it was a roller coaster a bit for us because, you know, we had saw him. I think they were doing the Big East, Big Ten Challenge mm-hmm. each year in Clearwater, and we – I actually ran into him on a backfield at East Cobb after the draft um, or before a draft, but I saw him in high school and mm-hmm. he, he did need to go to school. I thought and Minnesota took a lead flyer on him, but, um, but then we saw him as a freshman and a sophomore and, you know, in the summer and Cape and he was a guy that, you know, we were going to scout as a potential guy for number 11 that year. Um, and I saw the first weekend and, he, the, the whole UConn baseball team looked like a football team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had football <laughs> bodies. They were, they were huge. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of swing and miss. And, uh, the second weekend, uh, there was a target I was getting in Corpus Christi and ran into UConn again. And then I was out West and seeing some high school kids and there they are midweek at university San Diego state. And mm-hmm. I had just, I saw a lot of swing and miss and I was like, I got to pull up the tent a little bit on this one and <laughs> shut it down for a while and actually got to midterm meetings and was like kind of backing away to be very mm-hmm. honest with you. And our national cross checkers, David Post, and he said, you really do need to circle back on this guy. He goes, we've spent a lot of time. And I said, yeah, I said, I just, after the first weekend, I was like, ah, let him just play out of this football muscle he's got and he'll be fine. But then to get it the next two weeks, it kind of just weighed on me a little bit. And I said, why don't you go back in there and, you know, kind of reestablish him. And he, uh, he was the same guy that we had seen prior. And I got back in there and got very comfortable with him once again. And, uh, yeah, then it was, we were hoping he got to us and, uh, he was an easy guy to pick. I think the swing and miss was like 40%. Uh, he had a 40% strikeout rate, I think, for the first half of that season. So, you know, it really changed in the back end of the season. But I really got down. We got down to the point of trying to understand why is there swing and miss. And, you know, we thought this guy had very good recognition. We thought he saw right-handed spin very well. There was no bat speed issues. 
there wasn't a swing path issue. Um, he just swings really hard a lot. And a lot of it we thought was once he gets out and the game gets faster for him, um, some of that stuff is going to take care of itself. And you still see him get to one knee once in a while now, but he's also a guy that doesn't expand the plate and he didn't do it then. And it was really just getting comfortable where he was with his musculature as well as us having an understanding of why they were swinging this. And um, it was more of, you know, he was trying to do too much and, and uh, then rely on the game speed as he moved up to help control that a little better. Last question for you, uh, going back now to the 2009 draft, which turned out to be incredibly important in the Astro, eventually Nastros winning the World Series. But that draft, your first rounder was Giovanni Mir. He didn't make the big leagues. Tanner, I think it was Boucher. He was the second round pick. He didn't make the big leagues. None of your picks from the first five rounds made the big leagues. But your sixth rounder was Kike Hernandez, who's turned out to be a really good longtime ball player. Obviously, he's been traded a few times. The seventh round, you took a college starter. I'd seen him. I didn't. I certainly had no idea he'd turn into what he turned into. Dallas Keuchel signed for Baseball Reference City, signed for just 150 grand. Seventh round, 221st player taken. Uh, I, I assume you saw him. I know not every scouting director sees the seventh round pick, but he was at University of Arkansas. Did you, in fact, run into him? And, and what are your memories of taking him in the draft versus then thinking about the pitcher that he eventually became? Well, first of all, as you gave me a lot of credit, or the industry gives me a lot of credit for what we did, this is definitely personified that takes a staff to make an impact on an organization because, as you alluded, we whiffed on the top of that draft. Um, so we had five drafts collectively. The area scouts saved that draft, mm-hmm. you know, turning out Kike and, and, and Keichel as well as J.D. Martinez later on. Um, right. So you get it. And all you get, you get all stars and Cy Young. You get some hardware guys, and um, and kind of fell in. Well, we got the starting pitcher, and we got a regular and a super utility guy. So it kind of fit the criteria I talked about earlier. But yeah, you know, just the work our guys did. I did not see him that spring. Um, you know, he was a Friday night starter in SCC. Um, we had four other see him, um, three regional cross checkers, and an area guy. There was two area guys and. And, you know, he wound up in a good spot on our board and, you know, it just got to the point of, you know, you're sitting there on the Island, you're trying to ride him, and, you know, I understood that he was a pitch left-hander and, um, and then finally just said, I got to take this guy. He's just, you know, like, I'm not riding him anymore. And it was like, I saw him first time I saw him was instruction league and I called each guys saw him and I wanted to hug him. It was, uh, I was watching Kenny Rogers pitch. Mm. So that draft, by the way, f- like you said, nobody in the top five rounds made the big leagues. You say you whiffed at the top of the draft, and yet, just going off baseball reference, that's over 50 war from a draft class. Kike at about 10, Keichel at about 22 so far, J.D. Martinez just over 23, and you had Jake Gobert also made the big leagues, and a couple guys you didn't sign ended up making the big leagues. It turned out to be a great draft class, despite not getting the player you thought you were getting in the first round. So it, it is... As, as you said, I'm glad to hear you say that to give credit to the staff because an area scout, the importance of the area scout cannot be overstated, especially in an era when a lot of teams are saying, we don't think we need area scouts anymore. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we missed on the best player ever, maybe, Mike Trout, mm. who we underscouted. You weren't the only ones. And, and then future Hall of Famer, Nolan Arenado, we, mm. you know, we didn't do a very good job on him as well. So, um, yeah, and those are still lessons that I learned from and I 
try to bestow on others as well. But, you know, but then it's the backbone. It's your area scouts that, you know, are watching these guys and know a little more what's inside of them as well as the skill part of it because you have to watch players a lot to understand their skill and instinct. My guest today has been Bobby Heck. He is the special assistant to the general manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, formerly scouting director for the Houston Astros. You will hear Bobby's name come up quite a bit when there are GM openings. And I think having spoken to, listened to him today, I'm sure you can all understand why. Bobby, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Keith. One quick correction that Bobby mentioned as soon as we were done with the interview, the scout he meant to refer to was not Keith Store, but actually Keith's son, Tyler Store. That's just about all for this week's show. I do want to mention my thoughts and sorrow at the very sudden passing of Pedro Gomez, who was my colleague at ESPN for a long time. Uh, if you are on Twitter at all, if you're on baseball Twitter at all, on sports Twitter at all, you probably saw many, many tweets talking about Pedro's kindness, people giving very personal stories of things Pedro did for them. Uh, especially many of them when they were just starting out. Uh, I do not have such a story, to be honest. Um, I knew Pedro uh, from working with him. I don't have any particular stories of of being close to him. In fact, Pedro and I would I would say we had diametrically opposed views on baseball itself. Uh, and that could have led us to be pretty acrimonious towards each other. And we were not, and I would say that is probably much more to Pedro's credit than it is to mine. Uh, that is just the type of person he was. And we did manage to find common ground talking about Arizona, where I lived briefly and where he lived uh, for a very long time, and Arizona politics, which we both shared. Uh, we, that was one place where we did find very common ground. We had shared opinions on that. Uh, Pedro Gomez was only 58 years old. I'm still utterly shocked to find out that he passed away this weekend. My condolences to his family. His son, Rio, is a, uh, has been a professional pitcher for several years. Uh, Pedro had just posted four days ago. He had just tweeted a photo of himself with his son. He was very, very proud of Rio. In fact, most of the times we spoke in the last two years, it was him asking something, maybe not specifically about Rio. He never actually asked for a scouting report, but just asking a draft-related question or, or asking about maybe something that he thought what did I hear? Was there something maybe Rio should be doing? Who's just a very proud dad. And uh, I will, that will be probably my most enduring memory of him. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.